The Christian life is not a life in ministry where we compete against each other. We are serving each other. We compete against our common enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. A very destructive attitude that is prevalent in this day of big shot Christianity is that we spend too much of our time comparing ourselves instead of helping each other. And one of the biggest marks of carnality I know is to compare yourself with other Christians. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in a study of 2 Timothy, and we've begun looking at chapter 2. In the first few verses of this chapter, Paul encourages his son in the faith, Timothy, to persevere in his ministry. In so doing, Paul uses two metaphors, that of a soldier and that of an athlete. In relation to his exhortation to suffer hardship as a good soldier, Paul reminds Timothy not to become entangled in the affairs of everyday life. Today, Dr. Berge will camp on this verse and spend some time looking at just exactly what it means to become entangled. What is to be forbidden and avoided is what Paul here calls entanglements. That is anything that would keep us from fighting Christ's battles. An entanglement may not necessarily be sinful in and of itself. It could actually be something that is perfectly innocent. But something becomes an entanglement if it keeps you from sharing the gospel or serving God's people or some involvement in the kingdom of God. And I know Christians in our own fellowship are so entangled in the affairs of everyday life, they have no time for the church. They have no time about furthering the kingdom of God. Now, while this counsel applies to all Christians, contextually, and especially applies to the Christian pastor who is to devote himself to teaching and tending Christ's flock, the pastor must stay as an example to the flock, especially focused in studying the Word of God and sharing his faith in his prayer life and in his preaching life. He cannot get distracted in the entanglements of this life, and neither can you. Now here then is the first metaphor. We are to be like soldiers in Christ's army. Like dedicated soldiers, we must be willing to suffer. Like dedicated soldiers, we must be willing to focus, to concentrate, to consider the one who has enlisted us. And if we are to please the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who by his own blood enlisted us in his great commission army, then there will be some suffering, there will be some sacrifice, and there must be some focus. Now in verse 5, he gives us the second analogy, the analogy of the law-abiding athlete. Notice, and also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Paul now turns from the Roman soldier to the competitor in the Greek games. Now, in our day, as in their day, every sport has its rules. I remember some years ago, the Boston Marathon, and I remember one particular lady, and they said, Rosie has taken first place. I can't remember her last name. It slips me this morning. And, of course, she was the first woman to take first place, the first woman to come over the line, and in record time. 
only to discover that shortly after the race began in Hopkinton, Mass., she got in a taxi and drove all the way to Wellesley College. And at Wellesley College, she jumped back in the race and came in first. And so, of course, she was disqualified. It, the same has always been true. And, of course, in the ancient world, as we know, the rules applied not just to the race itself, but also even to the preparatory process. No athlete would receive the prize unless he competed according to the rules. And, of course, the prize was not a gold or silver or bronze medal, but the coveted evergreen wreath that would be worn on the head. No athlete could wear that wreath unless he competed according to the rules. So I want you to notice first that the law-abiding athlete keeps the rules. He keeps the rules. Paul plainly says he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. No rules, no wreath. That was the order of that day, and it's the order of our day. Now here the Christian life and the Christian ministry is likened to a race. Now, in what sense is the Christian life and ministry like a race? Well, hold your finger here, would you, and go to 1 Corinthians 9. Let me remind you of just one verse of Scripture, Acts, Romans, and you come to 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It is a race, the Christian life and ministry, not in the sense that we are competing against each other. Paul makes it very clear that we are not competing against each other. Let me uh, take you there for just a moment to give you a biblical theology on competition. Paul asks, or Paul asks in 1 Corinthians 9, and notice, if you will, verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Now, I think it might be helpful to consider and to make some observations from this race in which we are called to run. First, while both 1 Corinthians 9 and 2 Timothy 2 teach me that the Christian life and ministry in many ways is likened to a race, it is uniquely different in one respect. In the physical race, everyone runs, but only one person can win. So Paul asks the question, he reminds us, don't you know that those who all run in a race, all run, but only one receives the prize. However, in this spiritual race, all of us who've been saved are in the race, like it or not, and all of us potentially can win. So Paul says, run in such a way that you may win. Ronnie uses a second plural. You all run in such a way that you all will win. Now, not all will win, and the reason they do not win is because they choose to lose. Now, don't miss that. The Christian life is not a life in ministry where we compete against each other. We are serving each other. We compete against our common enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. A very destructive attitude that is prevalent in this day of big-shot Christianity is that we spend too much of our time comparing ourselves instead of helping each other. And one of the biggest marks of carnality I know is to compare yourself with other Christians. Do you remember this story in the Old Testament? The women sang it, which is probably what made it so lethal. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. 
Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And the record of Scripture that follows is Saul spending the rest of his life fighting David instead of fighting their common enemy, the Philistines. A second observation that I would make from 1 Corinthians 9 about this race is that it's not a race about salvation. It's a race about service. It's not an issue of redemption. It's an issue of reward. Salvation is by the grace of God. Heaven is not something that you can earn or work for. The entrance fee is, is free. It's been paid for by Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't say it was cheap. It's free, but not cheap. It costs Christ his own life's blood to pay it for you. However, the maintenance fee of this race is incredibly high. It, it's, a, it's an endurance race, and in this race we call Christian life and service, many a Christian putters out. And I will again remind you that heaven will not be the same for every Christian. Some Christian will have a greater reward throughout all of eternity because of their faithfulness to Jesus Christ to run the race well while here on earth. Now, there's a third observation that we need to make if a person is going to win, and that is he must have a winner's mentality. Now, I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. That whole mindset is rooted in the flesh, and that doctrine that is so prevalent today comes from the pit of hell, not from Holy Scripture. Now, that's another sermon in itself. But what I'm talking about here are the preparations that we are to take and the power of God that has been promised us so that we can run this race successfully. Remember who it is that we are running for, who it is that has called us to run this race. And when our minds are filled with this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will understand something about the power that he provides. Jot down a few of these promises, would you? We live in a day where Christians are victims, where we have psychoheresy on every corner, when you mix psychology with the Bible, you have psychoheresy. And so we have these Christians who say, ah, I'm crippled. I've been wounded from my mother's womb. I will never be a healthy and whole person. Sheer nonsense and folly. God said in Philippians 4, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He echoed the same truth in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Likewise in 2 Corinthians 2. But thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. There are two kinds of people in the Christian world. Those who say I can and those who say I can't. And they're both right. And the difference is the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. You cannot do it in yourself, but in, in Christ, you can do everything. So Paul reminds us here in our text, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. 
The competition he is referring to is not against each other, but the strenuous discipline of training and carrying out the Christian ministry. Our competition is against the world, the flesh, and the devil, against the entanglements of this world system, the lures that it offers you, against the lies and the temptations that sin will satisfy from the evil one, and against your own fallen sinful nature. So clearly the race is not against each other, but it involves a strenuous discipline running according to the rules. I've run most of my life. It started in kindergarten. Used to walk a mile to school. Literally, it was literally a whole mile to get there in kindergarten. Walked it. I came home at lunch. First grade, went there, came home at lunch, went back in the afternoon and came home again. So that was four miles every day. And I realized, and it was uphill both ways. You know that, of course. <laughs> I realized... Now, I'd much rather get home fast, so I ran it. And I ran through high school, and I ran through college, and I ran five miles yesterday, and I didn't feel like running. I'd been in my study for 10 hours. I was mentally exhausted, but I needed to clear my head. And so I went running. It was hot. It was strenuous. It was humid. And it involved labor. And I want to tell you that if you had to run this race... It is going to involve sacrifice. There is no easy, no cheap way in which to serve God. Hold your finger here, would you, and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. I want you to see that if we are to run this race according to the rules, if we are to run this race lawfully, then we must avoid the sin and entanglements of this life. The writer of the Hebrews uses a very similar analogy. Hebrews 11, 12, and 13 form a trilogy of chapters in the Bible. In Hebrews 11, you have illustrations. In Hebrews 12, you have an exhortation. In Hebrews 13, you have the application. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. It illustrates from the Old Testament all about faith, what it is, how to get it, how to use it, and how to please God with it, because without faith, you'll never please Him. Chapter 12 is the hope chapter. He offers us some strong hope and encouragement that we can run the race of faith that the Old Testament saints did. In fact, we can run it better because he's already taught that we are recipients of a new covenant. And chapter 3 is the love chapter. It describes how we are to run this race in the context of a local church, the body of Christ, and so how we treat one another. We read in Hebrews 12 and verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and of course, contextually, the cloud of witnesses are not those dead loved ones who have gone on and are watching us from heaven. That would make heaven like hell. That is a moronic interpretation, and it totally ignores the context. The great cloud of witnesses are all those saints of chapter 11 who by their lives have illustrated to us the walk of faith. Like them, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, this word encumbrance is linked to the word entangles, the same word that we saw Paul use in 2 Timothy 2 of a soldier. Now, these words are linked, and yet they are distinct. Someone might say, well, an encumbrance is some sin in your life. 
No, I know it can't be that. I know he doesn't have that in mind because while they're linked, they're distinct. He mentions every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, the word for encumbrance is the Greek word oxon, and it's used to refer to a bulk or a mass. It is not necessarily used of something that's bad. In fact, the word can be used in other places in the New Testament where it's not translated encumbrance because it has a very positive meaning of something that is perfectly innocent or harmless. But it becomes an encumbrance when it weighs us down, when it diverts our intention, when it saps our energy, when it dampens our enthusiasm for the kingdom of God. Now, in runner's terms, there's nothing wrong with sweatpants and an overcoat before the race. But during the race, it would be an encumbrance. There's nothing wrong with a diver's belt to bring you down to the bottom of the ocean. But it would be a tremendous encumbrance to the high jumper. Now, understand the principle. When it comes to running the race for Jesus Christ, good things, innocent things, become bad things when they keep you from the best things. Underscore that principle in your mind this morning. Good things become bad things when they keep you from the best things. And some things can become very heavy weights when they take your focus and passion and energy away from our Lord and Savior in His work. Now, you might have a relationship that is pure and harmless, but if it keeps you from fulfilling what God has called you to do, then it has become an anchor, a drag, and a weight. There may be some legitimate pleasures and recreations in your life, but they are weights when they keep you from running the race. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong, say, with watching a God-honoring television program, though they are very hard to find today. But many of you spend far more time watching television than you do in the Word of God. Television has become an anchor, a drag, a weight in your life because you watch it until your brain is the size of a pea and your eyes are the size of coconuts. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul is reminding us that there are certain things in this life that are lawful, they are permissible, they are not necessarily evil, but they are not always profitable because they are an encumbrance. There are certain weights that the athlete must lay aside. May not necessarily be bad for other people, but it's bad for the athlete. And so I want to encourage you to honestly ask yourself, as I often ask myself, are there legitimate, lawful things in my life that are keeping me from doing all that God has planned for me to do in this we call the Christian life? It might be a particular relationship. It might be some hobby. It might be some recreational sport. It might be your golf game. It might be your boat. It could be any number of things that are not necessarily bad and evil of themselves, but you have to do that honest analysis before God. And if the Lord reveals to you that there is something that is keeping you from maximizing your life for Jesus Christ, then you need to shed that encumbrance. Remember, you want to run according to to the rules. Now, the Christian 
who is to train well must consider carefully encumbrances that may come upon our life. Now, the Greek word that he also uses in addition to encumbrance is the word entangles. And he uses it as well in our passage in 2 Timothy 2. And it speaks of something in the New Testament that trips you up. While weights may slow you down, entanglements, always connected with sin, will trip you up. If you want to be the kind of spiritual athlete that God will have you to be, then you need to lay aside every entanglement. You need to tie your spiritual shoelaces tight. You need to put aside every sin. Now, it is true, back in Hebrews, if you bring me up that slide, that the article is accompanied here, the sin, which so easily entangles you. And very often, most of the time, when the article is used in the Greek New Testament, it's referring to something specific, but not always. Sometimes it can be used in a generic sense, and it appears to be used in that case because he uses the author, the apostle, the first person pronoun, the sin that so easily entangles us. But there is typically a sin, the sin in a person's life that is at the root of all sins. And as we pursue the course that God has set for us, we need to be sensitive not to tolerate encumbrances, and certainly not to get entangled in sin. Can you say this morning that there is no unconfessed, no unrepented sin in my life? You had better learn to treat sin as sin would treat you. You must be merciless with sin because sin will be merciless with you. Do you remember what our Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount? He taught us how to keep from being entangled in sin. Let me pick it up in verse 27 so you can get the flow. You've heard that it was said, Matthew 5, 27, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. Now on the surface, it seems rather dramatic to pluck out an eye or to cut off a hand. But Jesus wants us to treat sin as sin would treat us. Now, unfortunately, there have been Christian people through the centuries whose zeal have exceeded their wisdom. Origin of Alexander, for instance, literally, in the hope of living a purer life, plucked out his right eye. But these dramatic figures of speech that our Lord uses do not speak of mutilation. They speak of mortification. They speak of dying to self. If you pluck out the right eye, you still have the left eye to contend with. If you cut off the right hand, you still have the left hand in which to execute the temptation. Jesus is simply teaching that the eye cannot be the inlet into sin and the hand cannot be the executor of the temptation. And so you must deal with them ruthlessly. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. That is to say, don't look at it. Don't focus on the temptation. If you are to deal with temptation, 
Sometimes in the, in the spiritual realm, you must act in the physical realm as a blind man would. You must choose not to look at it. You must choose not to see it. And if your hand or your foot, which Jesus will add in Matthew chapter 18 and dealing with different kinds of temptation there, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, because temptation certainly can come through the hands by the things that you do, and temptation certainly can come through the feet by the places that you visit, then don't do it. Don't go there. Live as if you had no hands. Live as if you had no feet. In other words, you are not to feed your lower sinful nature. The exact same counsel was put in one verse in Paul's words in Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh that is the sin nature in regards to its loss. Of course, if all a person ever does, as Galatians 5 affirms, if all they ever do is feed the lower nature, if that is the pattern of their life, then they have strong and certain assurance that they've never had a birth from above. But understand, in reference to God's people, the curse at the start of this new millennium is half-hearted Christianity. And casual, half-hearted devotion to Jesus Christ is an insult to God. Unfortunately, many Christians, though, have yielded to sin. They've made peace with sin. They've come to the place where they said, well, no one is perfect. Everybody has their own little problem, his own little pet sin, and I've just chosen to, to live with mine. And that's the tragedy of our day, the sin that so easily entangles us. Peter says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I am so thankful to Dr. Bill Bright for the personal encouragement he gave me in my early years in challenging me and calling me to live holy. That's what marked that man's life. And that's why God was able to use him. And that's the kind of determination that Jesus Christ is calling for, that Peter writes about, that the writer of the Hebrews mentions when he asks us to lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us, and that Paul in our text of Scripture refers to when he says you must run according to the rules. You cannot make peace with the entanglements of this life because your sin will trip you up. You cannot hold to the encumbrances of this world because the world will weigh you down. No, very often the only difference between a sincere, devoted, godly, happy, joyous, spirit-filled Christian and a defeated, weak, and struggling Christian is whether or not they are willing, like an athlete, to run according to the rules. As Pastor Carl mentioned, today's message, Laboring for Christ, is available by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting message 2TM3. It's available on tape, CD, or DVD. And if you'd like information on helping support this ministry, just ask about becoming a Foundation Partner when you call. Foundation Partners commit to help search the Scriptures for a gift of at least $25 a month. And through their financial and prayerful support, we're able to broadcast into more and more cities around the country. This month, all new Foundation Partners will receive the complete set of our study in 2 Timothy, 
as a token of our appreciation. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl continues his look at laboring for Christ. Join us then when we search the scriptures.